welcome to the Chronic Sex Podcast. Chronic Sex talks about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are all affected by chronic illness and disability. That's not all, though. We'll also touch on intersectionality, social justice, empathy, current events, and much, much more. Given the range of subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. Hi, wonderful humans. I've missed you. Um, I've had an interesting couple of weeks getting some medical stuff taken care of. Um, and at the end of the month, I have an appointment to do a gastric emptying study. So basically they're going to feed me eggs and then I, they have to like watch how they go through my system. So that'll be fun. Uh, like to see if I have been experiencing like delayed emptying or what's also known as gastroparesis, um, Because I just can't eat a lot. And sometimes, like, if I eat a Chipotle bowl, sometimes it's 24 hours before I can eat again because I'm just still too full. Like, that should not be a thing. Uh, But it is in my life. It's also been interesting because as a part of that, I'm having to taper down off of a tricyclic antidepressant. Um, I really didn't want to go on it in the first place, but my neurology team wouldn't try, um, to give me a, a migraine abortive med without trying nortriptyline, which can also, um, prevent migraines from happening, but I don't think it's really helping me. And I really don't like being on two antidepressants and three medications that impact my liver. So the more I can get rid of that, great. (sighs) It's also just going to be nice to eliminate one more pill bottle from my collection of pill bottles that are out. (sighs) I'm just so looking forward to it. One of the things is I have to... um, taper off of this medication because of that gastric emptying study because nortriptyline can apparently cause uh, constipation, which no one told me until yesterday. And that might have been nice to know this time last year when they put me on it. But okay. (laughs) Um, It's It'll be really nice to get the study done and see what's going on. It'll be really nice to be off this med. Um, I'm really looking forward to being more productive and um, not feeling like a walking pill case. I know it's just one med gone, but it actually is like three pills a day because I take 30 milligrams. And it's just really nice to uh, get rid of some of that. I like not sounding like a mariachi. Nope. Maracas. That's what I was thinking. Like making the movements with my hands so I can remember. The fuck. Um, it's been a day. (laughs) My husband's got a cold and I think I'm on the verge of getting it. I can't tell. Um, but it is really interesting to be like the well one. That doesn't usually happen physically, uh, mentally slash emotionally, sure, but like physically, it's just been really weird, um, to take care of him. I don't know. We'll see if I get it. I've had a fever, like, while he started his cold, um, and like canceled some social plans because of it, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It always takes me longer to get sick somehow. Um, and then it hits real hard. So we'll see what happens. But maybe, um, you know, like in the last three years that I have been on the um, biologic that I take for my systemic juvenile arthritis, it's a daily shot, um, which is interesting. 
it makes traveling fucked up, but, um, it targets one part of my immune system where it actually does a lot of good, um, in, in actually targeting the source of my inflammation and, like, pain from my JA instead of some of the other medications I've been on that basically attack all parts of my immune system and then I catch everything and, like, someone's case of the sniffles is pneumonia. So, (laughs) knock on wood that that won't happen this year or ever again. It hasn't for the last couple years. Um... I haven't really even gotten bronchitis the last couple of years, and that's usually a an annual thing for me, so I'm really happy about that. Going to today's episode, I'm really excited to be on with my friend Mari. Um, they are really fantastic. They also have a podcast called Six Sad World that we talk a little bit about, and then we reference a couple of um, links. So I'll put those in the show notes for those of you who like to go check out, um, things we mentioned, like to read more about gender. Um, and then also, you know, where you can find Mari's writings and all of their fantastic work that they're doing. I will say after getting this new microphone, Um, I don't think I realized how much better this one is from the last one. So there's still a lot of clicking in this recording (laughs) because of the fact that I'm really close to my microphone. (laughs) I'm like a whole desk length away from it right now and I sound real good. So it's real funky. Um... I just have to train myself to not, like, give the microphone a blowjob. Go figure. Uh, (laughs) And I think I'm going to scrap the program that I've been using, Zencaster. While it makes it easy-ish to record, it missed a bunch of audio again. Um... Or not, not missed it, but it spliced it weird. And I had to go back in and fix it, which is kind of a pain and defeats the purpose of, like, them mixing it for you. Like, I paid money for that. (laughs) If I'm gonna have to do it again anyway. It's just like the dishwasher commercials, like the detergent commercials that have been on lately. Like, my mom washes the dishes before she puts them in the dishwasher. What's the point? It's kind of how I'm feeling about that program right now. (laughs) I'm sure it has something to do with, like, my internet or, I don't know. But, uh, it shouldn't be that bad. Anyway, um, one last thing before I get to my conversation with Mari. There is a psychology grad student doing a study around, um, chronic pain and coping mechanisms you use for that. And it includes BDSM in the survey. So if you go to the site, um, chroniccex.org, you should be able to find it. It should be on the front page right now. Um, or at the very least, like in the scrolly thing on top so that you can find that and take that. That would be wonderful and a big help. Um, the psychology student is a fantastic person and I'm really excited that they're doing this research. It's super needed, so please go check that out, um, and take that. It takes, like, they estimated 30 minutes. It took me, like, 10 or 15. I'm a really fast survey person, so I guess there's a good range for you to know. Like, 10 to 15 to 30 minutes, like, is some time to allocate while you're on the bus or, like, trying to rest or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, without further ado, here's my conversation with Mari. Hi, Mari. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. I am so excited to talk with you today and pick your brain and 
talk about creepy things. Um, <laughs> cause it is October. My favorite. <laughs> uh, can you introduce yourself for people who don't know who you are? Like, what are the top things they need to know about how badass you are? <laughs> um, I'm always bad at describing myself as badass, but I am a non-binary and disabled um, writer, podcaster, and uh, I guess amateur model. Um, I have a website, indivisiblewriting.com, and my podcast, Six Sad World, which is a true crime and horror podcast. So um, obviously October is my favorite month of the year. I was creeping your website 10 minutes ago because this is how I prepare for things. Um, and just like the different organizations you've written for, like Leafly and Nuance and Wear Your Voice and Bitch Media, those are some really important and heavy hitting like spaces to write for. And you're just an amazing writer as it is to see your name like when I open an article that I'm not expecting to be from I don't know someone I know and <laughs> see your name there is so cool has that happened to you because I didn't realize like things were getting shared around by other people absolutely your piece on call out culture and where your voice um is really like gets shared around a lot Aww. so I'll, like be scrolling on facebook and then i'm like oh cool this looks like i should read it even though i've read it like 12 times <laughs> and then i open it and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> and i think it's such an important piece too um i don't think many white people realize how they are creating more toxic spaces in spaces that are for more marginalized people. And it's really important to keep that in mind. So I think that's just a great piece. And I will link to it in the show notes for anybody who hasn't read it. You should push pause and immediately click on that and read it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so tell me about Six Sad World. Tell me how your podcast came about it's such a cool and interesting mix of things so um i guess the idea kind of started the way most true crime podcasts start um i started listening to a few i actually landed on um my favorite murder but i have feelings about them mm -hmm. right now um but i kind of sat there and was like i could do this i love talking about murder why not talk about murder to people who might listen? And um, so I tried to do it on my own, and it was way less fun than I expected. Um, but then I found out that my best friend of, like, I'm not even sure how many years now. It's, like, over 15. And um, she surprised me by being like, actually, I really love horror and true crime. Um, and so... I was like, okay, can you do a podcast with me? And it just like instantly worked. We were like really scared we wouldn't get to like 30 minutes, um, you know, just talking. But it, you know, now our episodes run to almost like two hours, which is why we're bi weekly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, um, my co host is uh, Jasmine. And uh, yeah, we've been best friends for like 17 years or something like that. So, that's cool. Um, and I, it sounds so much like, you're right, like the other starting beginning points of other true crime podcasts. Um, another one I listen to a lot is And That's Why We Drink. And like the, the kind of interactions that you and Jasmine have are very, very similar to the kind of interactions that Christine and M have. Um, and I don't know if you've listened to And That's Why We Drink. It's really good. 
I've only heard them on the crossover episode with Wine and Crime. Oh, yeah. That was pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) I've been meaning to add them to my list, but it's like I'm already like behind on most of my podcasts. So I was like, I don't need to add another thing to overwhelm me. I feel you. I I think I'm four episodes behind on Wine and Crime right now. (laughs) Yeah, about me too. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) Um, And I think... Uh, there's just new cool podcasts popping up all the time. Like, I know my podcast app has, I'm just guesstimating as I'm looking at it, but like 30 podcasts. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> um, it is, it's just so cool, I think, to have the mix that you and Jasmine have to talk about true crime, but also talk about horror and aliens and social justice issues. Yeah, that was something I I like stipulated when we started. I was like, we're not sticking with just true crime because I'm going to want to talk about aliens at some point. Yes, aliens are so much fun to talk about. Like, um, Astonishing Legends is another podcast that I kind of – think about in the same realm as yours that they talk about really yeah have you listened to them they're so cool um i listened to their dyatlov pass um there are two episodes on that uh because uh my my friend who got me onto true crime podcast um was like you need to hear all about dyatlov pass here's all the places you can listen about it i love uh just kind of the way they handle things and their episodes are like two hours ish too. It's just really cool to hear. I think the mm, comparisons and things you have in common with different podcasts, like these podcasts are really big. And I think that your podcast needs to be really big. Like it's so, it's so fun to listen to. Um, I think I said this before we hit record, but I listen to it when I try to put my clothes away or when I'm, like, doing random shit around the apartment. That's how I know I'm I'm primo podcast material, because that's the exact time you want people to listen. Right? It's perfect. It feels like dead airspace. And I think, too, it's also just kind of fun to listen to it and be like, I know one of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, um, I think I played the your first episode for my husband and we were putting away clothes. And he was like, who is this? And I was like, oh, like, it's a sad world. It's my friend Mari, like, from Playground. Um, and he was impressed, so... You have impressed two crime slash horror aficionados. Uh, That's that's amazing. I did not think we were that. (laughs) You're really good. And I'm not just saying this because you're my friend, but like, I feel like that just adds to it. I don't know. I might be biased. (laughs) Well, I will take your word as gospel. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I'm going to get an ego. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you're giving me one, so it's only fair. Yay, mutual egos. <laughs> <laughs> what has been, like, your favorite episode so far? Oh, I was trying to figure this out this morning because I had a feeling it would come up. And... I don't think I could pick just one, but I would say my top three would be, and in no particular order, I guess it's an order of reverse chronological, uh, but um, we just did an episode um, with Kristen Nadell, who is the daughter of a, a man who just vanished. Um basically without a trace. Um, And so we just did an episode with her um, because she wrote a book uh, called Freebird. And um, 
it was just like this really eye-opening episode um, that was just like, wow, like I didn't even like think about these things. And it's just like more ways to ground myself and remind myself that there are still victims of the cases that we talk about, you know, around or their families or another one of my favorites is called the dangers of being disabled. And that's an episode I did with Andrew Gerza, who I think you've mentioned on this podcast before. I have. Uh, That's an episode where we talk about, um, we talked about um, two murders that actually happened in Canada. We didn't plan that out where, you know, ableism was kind of at the root of the motive. So that one was also like a really emotional episode. Um, Andrew and I both picked cases where we, the, the victims had uh, the same disability as us and, it happened, like, they both happened in Canada. Mine was just, like, like a three-hour drive away from me where it happened. And, um, like, it only happened in 2000. So it was, like, really intense. Um, and then one of my favorites is called The Aliens Made Me Do It. It's our least <laughs> uh, listened to episode, but it's my favorite. Um, because I talk about aliens, so. I mean, any chance to talk about aliens is kind of the best. Yeah. And, um, it was a, it was a fun one because we talked about, uh, uh, yeah, we talked about, um, crimes that people committed, um, where they blamed aliens, um, for it. They were like, and then there, there was, um. A really kind of gross one that I covered in that, which is a possibility for why it's my least favorite episode, because I do content warning that. Who knows? I I like that you do content warnings before the stories. It was really important to both me and Jasmine. Like, that was something we both, like, we were like, okay, what do we want to do here? And we were both like, content warnings. Um... Because sometimes we want to talk about, like, the really icky stuff, but, like, you can't just throw that on someone with no warning. But I really hate it when other podcasts do it, and I'm not prepared, and I'm like, oh, cool, we're talking about this now. That's, I'm just trying to get my dishes done, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, same. Uh, there have been a couple podcasts that I've, like, just stopped listening to. Because they don't do content warnings. And I try to give podcasts like three chances. (laughs) And once we've hit the third where I'm in like crying flashback mode, uh, (laughs) it's time to hit the unsubscribe button. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was really important to us that we did that. And I think that speaks to, to like, how cool you and Jasmine are, you know, like being focused and thinking ahead about people's needs and wanting them to feel as comfortable as possible with the content and listen to it, you know, when they're ready to hear certain things. Um, I think just also speaks to how compassionate both of you are. And I think that's something that we really need to try to foster more in various communities, especially the podcasting community. So I really, really love that you do it. And it makes it so much easier to listen to your podcast. (laughs) I'm glad. I'm glad that's how it comes across. Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of like the reason me and Jasmine's friendship has lasted since elementary school. Um, We've just... Um, have always been like really careful of each other's feelings. And I think we've also taught each other to be more aware of other people's feelings. So like, like we grew up together, we basically learned how to be people together. So really worked out that way. I like it. It's good stuff. Where do you like, 
this is a grandiose question, but like if you could choose what future you have with Six Sad World, would you want it to get like as big as some of the other true crime podcasts or would you rather it still be kind of smaller or where do you, I guess like the best way to phrase that is like, where do you want six sad world to end up progressing? When I started, I didn't initially intend to want to get it like super big, but it would be nice for it to be able to pay for itself at least. Um, So kind of, um, that's all I really want out of it is to be able to to keep doing this and not have to be like, oh, well, I have to put paid work in front of this. And that's how things fall to the side and end up unfinished. Yeah. And it is really hard, especially like already dealing with health issues that you have to put ahead of like getting some work done. Um, it's just a really interesting balance, I think, to consider all of the different identities we hold and what we need to do to practice self-care for those different like identities and spaces. And then also capitalism on top of it is just a giant fuck you to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel myself leaning more and more towards kind of socialist ideals lately so maybe that's a little much but (laughs) no I totally agree um I'm yeah I've been leaning towards social I think you know when you deal with chronic illness and disability like it's hard not to lean socialist capitalism and you know that kind of thing only fosters the idea that your productivity and the amount that you can do with your body is what makes you valuable. And um, we can't survive that way. So no, (laughs) no, that's kind of our only choice. (laughs) Yeah. I think that is a really great observation. It's something I didn't think about um, until you brought it up, but I think every person I know who is sick, uh, who is not like married to a sugar daddy um, <laughs> has very socialist leaning principles. And I think it just only gets more and more uh, intense. Like I feel myself leaning more and more in that direction just with like our current political climate and y'all are hopping on the horrible conservatives in charge train too. And <laughs> Yeah, it's been real fun. Yeah, it's the best. So great. Uh, Like, um, I actually um, use social assistance to basically survive right now. For the last two years, I've been unable to work full time. And Toronto rental prices have been skyrocketing. So, yikes. um, You know, our premier wants to... Uh, you know, freeze all of the social assistance um, cuts are only, you know, inevitable at this point with the way his budget's working. And uh, yeah, so definitely I've like become super socialist, like especially in the last few months because it's just like, hey, cool. I just want me and my friends to survive. Can that just happen, please? Can we live? Is that is that too much to ask? Like, please don't make me move out of this city into somewhere else, like super far away from doctors and oh. friends and community, just so I can afford my rent. Uh, be so bad. It would be so bad. Yeah. But I like I see it happening so often, not just. In Toronto, but like here, even Madison is not a gigantic city. Uh, we're like 300,000. And I think if you include 
The close suburban area is probably like 500,000. Um, yeah, that is well. Yeah, right? But it's uh, it's also a college town, so then that number gets much bigger for large chunks of the year. But there's so many people that live farther out because it's the only way they can afford things. Um, my acupuncturist lives like an hour and a half away. <laughs> and it's bad, uh, except that he fills his time with podcasts, so then it doesn't feel as awful. Yeah, and it's... Have you ever, like, found something you were sure was going to be helpful health-wise that actually really was? Actually, so this is, like, a little embarrassing, but I've been trying to, like, talk about it more. Um, I actually recently had to start, like, occasionally wearing diapers. Um, I have you know, spina bifida and incontinence is one of the things that come with it. And lately, like I had a cold for like two weeks and every time I sneezed, you know, things happen. Um, and it was getting really frustrating to constantly have to change my pants, change my underwear. Um, you know, I couldn't like sit on my couch. It was just like, embarrassing and uncomfortable and so I I had done a little photo shoot in um, diapers before so I still had a bunch sitting around and I was just like maybe I'll do this and I actually it like I was able to go through my day and like get stuff done because I wasn't constantly having to be, like, super near the bathroom or, you know, like, having to constantly go change my pants, which is not easy on the laundry money. It's been something I've been resisting because I um, wore diapers far later into my childhood than uh, my peers, and I was bullied for it. And um because at the time, my disability was invisible, and my parents were afraid to talk about it because of bullying. But then I got bullied anyways. Um, and so I kind of stopped using them and was like, no, I'll learn how to deal with this issue by myself. I'll figure it out. And then, yeah, in the last couple months, I've just been like, I think I have to change something. I'm really proud of you because I know that that is not always a difficult or <laughs> not always an easy step to make. Um, and there's so many societal ideas of what's okay to do for taking care of yourself and what isn't. And it's really easy, I think, to get in this internalized ableism mode where you're like, no, I don't wear diapers. That's not me. Um, I'm not that sick or things like that. Um, so I'm really proud of you for taking that step. And I think that it'll be a really good thing in the long run. Cause as you said, like you're being able to be more productive and like do more things and take care of more things. And that is, as much as I hate to say it, like <laughs> that is what our society loves. Um, but it's also, I'm guessing it might be for you just like it is for me. Like, it's also really difficult to detach from that. So I feel really, really good when I get shit done. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do. Um, and there's so much satisfaction in actually getting something done. Um, but you know, as I mentioned before, like our survival is based on getting shit done. Yeah. So it's also kind of like an imperative. For sure. And I'm really happy that you did that photo shoot so that you had diapers on hand too, to just be able to try. Cause I know that they're not, um, inexpensive <laughs> to pick up. So no. Yeah, that's why it's it's definitely just going to be an occasional thing, um, you know, during flu season and, um, you know, 
anything that kind of triggers that. But it was, yeah, like a super difficult step to take, um, especially with the kind of like internalized ableism and like the history of bullying, especially around that. Like I was, uh, there was a, an older boy at my school who called me diaper girl and uh, it was super not fun. Um, he would just spend all recess just making fun of me. Um, but then my brother threw a bike at him and he moved away. So <laughs> kudos to your brother. He always told me it was because he made fun of one of his friends, too. Um, but I know there was a like it only happened after I eventually told my family what happened. And then he suddenly moved away. And then my brother was like, oh, yeah, that might have to do with me throwing a bike at him. My parents were very upset. They were like, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't go around throwing bicycles and other modes of transportation at people. <laughs> He's grown out of that now, thankfully. <laughs> that's, that's good. Because, um, yeah, I think people do frown upon uh, having bikes chucked them, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, I think especially at children is, you know, kind of the yeah. worst part about it. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> but, you know. That kitchen made fun of me. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah. Just take care of yourself and then you don't have to worry about bikes being chucked at you. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> I kind of love that so much. Like, I want a graphic of, like, someone just throwing the bike. That would be amazing. <laughs> we might have to talk to Rachel just to get it created so you can have it, like, <laughs> framed. That would be good because it is one of the few like happy memories I have with my brother. So it's like let's remember this one forever. Just forget everything else. And absolutely, like the bike chucking. That's the one. <laughs> so speaking about ableism, you've been working on and putting on um, workshops about unpacking ableism, right? Yes, yes, I have. Um, me, uh, Kate Welsh, and oh my goodness, how could I have forgotten Jade's last name? Um, and my friend Jade, I can't remember her last name. Uh, we put together this workshop called Unpacking Ableism, and it's, um, <clears throat> it's a great workshop that kind of, uh, we start off with the basics to make sure everyone's on the same page, like what is ableism, um, you know, how does intersectionality come into play? Like, what is intersectionality? Um, but we also get into kind of stuff like um, the actual intersections, like calling the police on, you know, someone you perceive to be mentally ill um, and the repercussions that can have. Um, and also, you know, stuff like how do you ask someone if they need help mm -hmm. instead of just trying to help them without their permission, um, stuff like that. And um, we've done it just like a, a couple times. We did it for the 519 here in Toronto um, as a first iteration. Um, but we've done in August, we did another one uh, that was just kind of run by us. And um, that one was really great because we actually, um, the last, it was just us kind of like round tabling and kind of figuring out those little nuances in, in people's lives. Like um, we had people coming from like a business background, people coming from uh, the polyamory community, um, people coming from like organizations. So there was a lot of different things that we touched on in that way um, because we didn't want this to just be another um, accessibility workshop that always puts the disabled person as the the client or the customer or the person who needs help rather than your employee or your staff member or your friend. Um, so 
that was something that we really wanted to to change and bring attention to. That's really cool. Um, there's really not a lot of workshops that focus on like, these are people you know, and you need to not be an ass to them. And here's how not to be an ass. Yeah. And I think that that's really something incredibly needed. Um, and we have to get you some like really cool funding so you can take it globally, aka here. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do. Um, we have been kind of talking with some like university student unions locally um, about doing our workshop uh, for like their student unions and for um, faculty. So, if there's any university people out there listening who want to pay for us to come down and do the workshop somewhere cool we'd be into that as well that would be so cool i would literally make the like 12 hour drive to come get you and take you places like (laughs) (laughs) which sounds uh a little weird because it's a long drive (laughs) (laughs) And it's a very long drive. You might need a nap before we head back. Yeah, that's probably not a terrible idea. (laughs) It's like the nicest drive, though. You get to see all sorts of different things that you obviously don't see just staying in your own space. Um, And I also just really love trying to stop at every en route and (laughs) like buy fries at one or a soda at another because I'm very weird um (laughs) I that's I've only done like a road trippy kind of thing like that like a few times and it's usually with my parents but definitely my favorite part was when we would stop at you know Mm -hmm. one of those like rest stops and I could like go in and like get fries or like a drink or something because it is just like super satisfying it's like you're rewarding yourself for sitting for three hours you're like i did it i sat still for three hours now i get french fries oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) plus like i also have an obsession with canada um so like every cute thing with a flag or every cool t-shirt or (laughs) keychain or magnet um i have a lot of things (laughs) and you probably have more canadian things than i do probably (laughs) but uh i'm actually going up to canada in a couple weeks but to saskatoon instead of toronto well that's a bit of a distance (laughs) it's uh i'm excited uh, I've never been outside of, like, Ontario and Quebec, <laughs> so oh. this will be it. Well, neither have, I mean, in Canada, those are the only places I've been as well, so. Well, there we go. <laughs> um, I, so I was in Montreal for, to do a presentation, and over the summer, um, And when we were heading up, I – or, like, to prep for it, I was like, oh, like, I'll just, you know, take some French on Duolingo so that I, like, at least kind of can figure out. Um, And then the person I was talking to was like, oh, no, you'll be fine. Everything is, like, in French and English. And then, like, we crossed into Quebec and there was, like, no English. (laughs) I was like, oh, no. Yeah, like all the street signs and stuff like that are all in French usually. If there is English, it's like in super tiny writing because it's like legally imposed. But in Montreal, um, everybody speaks or most customer service people will speak will be bilingual um, because it's a super touristy t- like city. Yes. Uh, so... It's like kind of necessary because we all refuse to learn French everywhere else. Um, no, it's because our our the way we are we are taught French in public school uh, kind of sucks. Oh no! Like 
my uh, Jasmine's actually taking like a French class right now, and she's learning more in her first year than she learned in like five years of public school. Oh, wow. So it's like, yeah, we don't teach it very well. We kind of just go over the same three phrases over and over again. <laughs> like, I know tissues are mouchoir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's probably more French than I remember, <laughs> honestly. I don't think we teach French that well here, mm-hmm. considering we're supposed to be a bilingual country. But, you know, that's just my opinion. Yeah, I. it's very interesting. Um, so I'm slightly somewhat of a polyglot. Um, so I went to a Japanese immersion uh, elementary school for like a year and a month. Wow. Um, when I was very young and then took like five years of Spanish and took like as a nine-year-old took like a semester of Mandarin at the community college, uh, which I don't remember any of. <laughs> um, and then like did two years of Arabic. So it's really interesting to me to see how people teach and learn languages in other spaces um like arabic so when i was learning spanish we went through like a very specific um build up of our vocabulary where we started with like numbers and colors and very basic things and then expanded to like big places and learning different dialects and things like that and then when I was learning Arabic like literally after the first month we were learning words for like terrorist oh um that's an interesting yeah right (laughs) like y'all haven't taught me how to say shrimp that's but I can say this person is a terrorist that's very telling (laughs) it's it's very weird but I do like how they have it set up on Duolingo. It's it's much more like here's uh you know like the basics, here's how you ask where the bathroom is, and then kind of grows from there. Although they don't have Arabic on there. No. Uh, they just added Hindi though. Um which is so cool. Yeah, so I've been uh trying to learn Hindi for a while. Um but I am like too afraid to actually go and get like professionally taught um, mm-hmm. because that would involve like a Hindi speaker looking at me and being like, why don't you already know this? <laughs> um, I know that's not what they're actually thinking, um, but like, that's how it feels. Like mm-hmm. shouldn't you already know this? Like, aren't you descended from Hindus? Like, mm-hmm. whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love that colonialism it's the best <laughs> um but um so yeah i've just started on that and it is it's very interesting because um i first started duolingo um doing spanish uh because i was spending like a month in uh panama uh for work and so i was like i should probably learn how to like say basic things Mm -hmm. before I get there um and so it was like a much easier experience because I was like oh I remember like this kind of goes like French a little I can remember a little bit of this so like um it's not too bad and then when I got there I had you know an entire office of Spanish speaking people to be like does this make sense what I'm saying? And like to kind of practice on and then be like, please don't say it like that. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Tell me how to actually say it. (laughs) Um, And, you know, stuff like that. But with Hindi, I am like, I've spent over a week on it and I'm still just going through the letters. uh, Like the alphabet. Yeah. And... I'm still, like, most of the time I'm just guessing when it's, like, which sound is this letter represent, or this character represent? And I'm, like, maybe this one? 
I know it's not that one, so it must be this one. <laughs> so, yes. It's a much slower process. <laughs> well, the, the alphabet is written differently than kind of the normal, like, quote-unquote English letters, right? Yes, it's very different. Um, But, like, I haven't even gotten to, like, actual words yet. Like, I... I still can't say anything. Um, but I also can't even read the like script of it yet. So like if they when they do put something up, I'm like, I don't know what sound that's supposed to be. Like it's really bad. I trust that you will get there because you are full of perseverance. And I feel like you'll get there even if it's just out of pure stubbornness of, like, I at least want to get these letters down. Yeah, uh, that's probably where I'll I'll end up just, like, quitting as I'll be able to, like, read the sounds and I'll be like, I I did it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know so much about the perseverance. This is not the first language I've tried to learn. (laughs) I also tried to learn uh, German and Polish uh, because I had friends who were German and Polish who actually spoke it. So I was like, I have somebody to practice with. Let's learn this language. And I gave up very quickly on those two. And it's actually my partner who speaks Polish. And his mother is very unimpressed with me. (laughs) She loves me in uh, every other sense. But then, like, she'll speak in Polish, and, like, my partner will answer in English, so I understand. And then she'll, like, it only happened recently, because at the beginning, she was like, of course you don't understand Polish. But now it's been, like, six years, and she's like, why don't you know this yet? And I'm like, whoops. Oh, no. (laughs) I tried taking a class. It didn't go well. (laughs) I, I did, um... Not Duolingo, but the computer, Rosetta Stone. I tried to learn Serbian Uh, because, like, my husband's grandfather came over from Serbia. So, like, his mom's side of the family is just very into their Serbian roots. I don't think they really speak it. Um, But, like, I think I did, like, one or two lessons and I was like this is I can't do this like, it makes no sense I'm done <laughs> I I don't know about Serbian but Polish has like like 18 different endings yes for like every kind of word it's like verbs have endings that change nouns have endings that change based on the verb mm-hmm. based on the tense based on it's like and and then based on like arbitrarily assigned genders to words, and then and and every time I, I I tried to write out a chart once, and it took up like an entire eight and a half by eleven page. Oh wow! Where I was just like, <clears throat> no, no, I don't. <laughs> There's so many things to remember. It's not going to work. You know how they say it's easier to learn languages when you're younger. I wonder how much of that is true and how much of that is true for those of us who have like chronic illnesses or disabilities. Like, I feel like it's just hard to learn languages. It is. And I think, I think it's easier when you don't mm-hmm. have language and you're first learning a language because you're just kind of like, there's no, you're not changing rules. You're not translating into something else you're just kind of like learning like oh that's a table that's this Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like you don't know anything else but then once you already have those rules set in place learning another language especially outside of that language family is just like huh like I know this thing as a table Mm -hmm. how am I supposed to remember that it is called something else in this language and like it's not easy 
I always found myself like when I was learning Arabic, it was really interesting is I would like in my brain translate what I wanted to say from English to Spanish and then to Arabic. Like <laughs> there was no reason for that except for, I mean, I don't know, like the 400 years that the Middle East had control of Spain. I mean, that influenced the language, but mm. there, there was no logical reason in my head for that. <laughs> and I was in Mexico um, at the beginning of 2017 with my friend. We did like a couple days there after the election and just needing to not be here. Um, and like, I went in all cocky and I was like, I can still speak Spanish. I can do this. And, like, half of the stuff that came out of my mouth was Arabic. And people were like, uh. <laughs> that's, that's kind of funny because I do remember when I was learning Spanish, sometimes when I was doing the Duolingo, I would get confused because the Polish word would come up first in my head. And I would be like, <laughs> like, it would be like, hello. And I'd be like, Jinkuya. And I'm like, nope. Nope. <laughs> that's not Spanish at all. It's so funny. It's so funny. Um, how do you feel? And feel free to like tell me you don't want to answer this. Um, but how do you feel about all the praise that former colonized countries are getting for throwing off colonized shackles? Like, um, you know, countries that are taking bans off of queer relationships and queer marriages. Um, I've been seeing so many different stories from primarily people either in Canada and the U.S. or in the U.K., you know, talking about how much it's nice that, like, these countries are joining the 21st century um, without acknowledging that those things were imposed upon them by like English settlers. Um, <laughs> and I have a lot of feels about that. I, I feel like we're in the same boat. <clears throat> okay, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, I think I actually touched on this in an article I wrote um, for Daily Extra. Basically, like... I think about it kind of like um, when I think about India. So, like, in India, homosexuality was, like, illegal, um, and it's just become, like, legalized there. Um, <clears throat> and, like, there's this very kind of rigid gender roles that, are, that have been imposed there. But when you go back to pre-British colonial rule... Like, mm -hmm. gender and sexuality were very fluid. Um, if you, like, look in Hinduism, like, a lot of the deities actually have, like, a like a male and female form. Like, they, they inhabit, like, both. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it was actually, like, there uh, is a third gender there called the Hedra. Um, and they are kind of like a trans non-binary identity and prior to colonialism um you know they were actually considered uh like an elevated type of person like they were considered divine um because they shared that trait with you know their gods and so when people are like oh you know thanks for catching up it's like thanks for handing down violence and bigotry into our <laughs> communities because we didn't have that before. This is actually relatively new for us. So I have, I have a lot of feelings about it and they're yeah. mostly bad. Yeah. Um, when I was learning Arabic, I was taking a bunch of courses around um, like Islamic culture and Middle Eastern cultures and there's a one really great seminar that I was taking was about different sexualities in um, you know, Middle Eastern countries. And there's so much that people don't know. Um, 
from third and fourth genders to uh, people that would have, you know, uh, quote unquote, same sex relationships with, um, you know, with people for years and then settle down and marry someone of the opposite sex. It's just absolutely fascinating, um, but also really heartbreaking <laughs> to read how people were, um, you know, handled and treated and harmed once British people decided to come in and look at other people with their own lens. And it just makes me want to punch people, um, <laughs> which I'm not good at punching people, but like, yeah, it's bad. It's, I think it's so fascinating though now because I feel like people understand a little bit more about that dynamic. Um, like Teen Vogue was like this time last year, they released a piece about different non-binary and, you know, third and fourth genders around the world. That is like, I referenced it in an academic paper. I referenced it for like um, this piece I wrote in a textbook. Like mm -hmm. Teen Vogue is doing some good shit, but like it's just fascinating to see how much more in tune with that history some of us are. And especially like those of us who are much younger and who, mm, I don't know, like care about learning about that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I I actually feel like really good about the younger generation. Like mm -hmm. I feel like like there's this idea that you're you get smarter the older you get, but I think you also just get more set in your ways and your ideas. And youth come in and they're like, but your ideas are weird and wrong, so maybe we should try something different. And they just kind of accept these new ideas because like I said, with language, like, they don't know anything else. And, like, the logic makes sense. It's all there. And, like, when you compare it to other older ideas, it's like, no, this one makes the most sense. Yeah. It's it's really cool to see that happening um, through the political sphere, too. Like, I have a lot of hope for the future once we get done with, like, mm, the immediate future. <laughs> <laughs> like to see all of these very young kids being so politically engaged and so into activism is really cool um and makes me feel less like everything should be set on fire <laughs> a little less uh i trust that if things were set on fire they could also rebuild them so <laughs> <laughs> that might just be what they have to do what I'm thinking. Um, <laughs> but again, that just brings us back to our socialist ideals. <laughs> I had so much fun talking with Mari, and I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know that we really talked about some random stuff, but I think it was really fun. And I could have talked for hours. Hours. I also think it's really nice to have conversations with people where you come away learning things, and I feel like every time I talk to Mari, that's exactly what happens. Um, it's just really cool, and I really appreciate them being on the show. Um, if you like true crime or horror or aliens, definitely go check out their podcast, Six Sad Worlds. Um, I'll put links in the show notes to how you can listen to that. Um, to Mari's Twitter handle and to their site, indivisiblewriting.com. I've also got some links to pieces that we talked about, um, like the Teen Vogue gender identity piece and a couple of the pieces that Mari has written that I just really love. Um, so I hope that you make time to check those out. I will get a transcription up on the site as well so that should be published the same time this goes live if i figured out how to schedule things correctly um it's 
it's a bit of a brain fog day. So we're going to see how that goes. Um, but you know what? I'm going to give myself the space and, uh, not be upset with myself if I didn't get it right this time. We're all just learning and we're all just practicing and, you know, I think that's okay. And I think the world needs more people who don't give themselves grace and space to do that. And, uh, people who give themselves too much to rethink their life choices. (laughs) For now, I'm going to go eat a grilled cheese and get ready for PT this afternoon for my shoulder so that maybe I can move it. (laughs) I love you all. I hope that you have a wonderful couple of weeks and I will talk to you soon. Chronic Sex is produced every two weeks by me, Kirsten Schultz. I use music from Pottington Bear because they're awesome. You can find show notes and more over at chronicsex.org. If you're enjoying listening to the show, please subscribe, and that way you won't miss a single episode. If you're on iTunes, it'd be really chill if you'd take a minute to rate the show, too. Not only does it give me great feedback, but it also helps the podcast get seen by people who may not know it exists, and that's pretty cool. You can support us over at patreon.com slash chronic sex. As always, you can find links to everything at chroniccex.org from social media accounts to resources to sex toy reviews and more. Until next time, please take care of yourself and remember that you are a freaking badass.